So good to see you guys. Thanks for being with us here in person. Thanks to those of you who are tuning in online, uh, wherever you're deciding to participate from today. Uh, we're so happy that you've decided to do so, especially on this incredibly frigid Sunday morning, okay? There's cold and then there's stupid cold, and this is classified in our house as stupid cold, all right? At least it was at five this morning when we were walking onto the church property. So anyway, I'm so glad that you're joining us today for what is Christ the King. That's our teaching series that we're in right now, where together as a church, we are studying through the gospel according to Matthew. Now, I do realize, okay, I didn't forget that I told you last week that today we're going to have a guest speaker, Dr. Josh Whitehead. But here's the deal. Even though we moved his flight from Saturday to Friday to avoid cancellation, the airport's preemptively closed down anyway. So I got a terrifying call on Friday uh, where I learned that I would be preaching today um, instead of our guest speaker. But thank the Lord, I work ahead, so it's not a problem. Here we go. Today we are in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. That's our text today. And our theme this week, would you help me out and say it out loud, nice and loud together. Our theme this week is the King's Herald. The King's Herald. Now the concept of the Herald needs to be explained to us because we don't live in ancient Bible times. And in America we have a president, uh, we don't have a king, and so we don't have a herald like they would have had back then. Back in Bible times, there were kings, and then kings would have heralds. And the heralds were the official proclaimers, okay? Back then, they didn't have, you know, Facebook, and they didn't have Instagram, and they didn't have any social media platforms. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, the, the different, uh, uh, you know, news stations, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so they had to have heralds, official proclaimers of whatever the king wanted to be announced. And we actually have a great biblical example of the herald in Esther chapter 6. You may recall in Esther 6 how King Ahasuerus, the king of the Persians, wanted to honor a man named Mordecai. So he turned to one of his servants and he said, put him in the royal robes, mount him on my own horse that dons the royal emblem, and then I want you to parade him through the city, and as you do, I want you to herald this to the people. This is what the king does to those whom he wishes to honor. And so that king's servant served as the king's herald. He was the king's proclaimer. All right, the closest thing we have in our culture to a herald is like an announcer at a boxing match. Now comes, you know, the terror of disaster, the, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And they announce, and then the boxer comes into the ring and all that kind of stuff. But in Bible times, the kings had heralds. And today... What we're going to learn about in our text, which again is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, is the herald of all heralds, John the Baptist. Let me read you our text, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew says, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. Mmm. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When I began preparing for this sermon several weeks ago now, I was like, awesome, it's going to be an easy week. There's only six verses. I mean, there's no way there could be that much information or stuff to cover in only six verses. Boy, was I wrong. (laughs) There's a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right in. If you're taking notes uh, today, go ahead and pull out your lesson notes. Grab that pen that our wonderful host team people have provided for you and write this down. Here's your first fill in the blank. The first thing that we see in our text is what we're going to call the man. Because in verse 1, Matthew identifies a man named John as King Jesus's official herald. Matthew writes in verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, you may recall from our series called The Righteousness of God, which was a systematic study through the New Testament book of Romans, that the word preach simply means to proclaim. So what Matthew tells us here is that John came proclaiming in the Judean wilderness. So in other words, John was King Jesus's herald, and he came um, ministering as herald to the king. And what I want you to understand today is that the ministry of John the Baptist was foretold in the Old Testament and in the New. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, even though I study the Bible like crazy, I didn't realize how much ink was dedicated in the Bible to telling us that one day a herald would come to prepare the way for Messiah. So I was just blown away by this, and I think you will be too. First, I want you to understand that the prophet Isaiah foretold that one day a herald would come before the coming of Messiah. Isaiah says this in chapter 40, verse 3. He says, a voice cries. What does the voice cry? The voice cries, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, I just gave you a snippet there because when we get to verse 3, I'm going to elaborate on this. But what you need to know here is simply this. Isaiah foretold that a voice or a herald would come prior to the coming of Messiah. But this herald wasn't only foretold by Isaiah. He was also foretold by Malachi. You see, God told the Israelites through his prophet Malachi, Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. So here again, instead of being called a voice, now the person is called God's messenger, but either way, it's the same thing. A messenger or herald will come prior to the arrival of Messiah. Now that's Malachi chapter 3, but here's the deal. In chapter 4, we learn what kind of messenger this herald will be. Malachi says this, or I should say God says this through Malachi. He says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So in Malachi, we learn not only that God is going to send his messenger ahead of him, but what we learn is that this messenger will come in the spirit or likeness of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. So that's what we get about this herald who would precede the coming of Messiah in the Old Testament. 
But friends, when we enter into the New Testament, we see more of the same. So take a look with me at Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel appears to a man named Zechariah and says this to him, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now pause. Everything that I highlight and read from this point forward is the angel Gabriel quoting an Old Testament prophecy concerning the herald who would precede Messiah's arrival on the earth. So picking up in verse 16, And he, the herald, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In case you missed it, here the angel Gabriel quotes all three Old Testament prophecies about God's promised herald. So Gabriel was telling Zechariah then, your son, the one that I'm commanding you to call John, he is the voice of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. He is the messenger of Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. He is the prophet of Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. So when we read in verse 1 about the man named John, we are reading about the one that God foretold through his prophets would come into the world to herald the coming of Messiah to the nation of Israel. So we see, number one, the man. Number two, the second thing we see in our text is the message. And here we're looking at the message of John the Baptist, the message of the herald that God sent into the world. Now, I know some of you wish that my messages could all be summarized in one word, uh, but they can't, but John's could be. So take a look. John's message could be summarized in one word, and it was the word repent. All right? Now I'm just having a little fun. John would preach an entire sermon, and he would elaborate on this concept. But if the whole thing could be summarized in a word, that word was repent. Now, to repent simply means to convert from sin to righteousness. You know that you've repented when your life is predominantly characterized by righteousness or right living according to the word of God. So it's when you turn from a life predominantly characterized by sinfulness to a life predominantly characterized by righteousness. And so John arrives as God's herald with a message of repentance to tell the people, the great king that God promised to send into the world, he's, he's about to appear. And you need to repent of your sins because the king that's coming is the king that God's appointed to rule over an eternal kingdom. And if you want entrance into that kingdom, if you want to live forever as a citizen in that kingdom, God's requirement is repentance. And so John came with this message of repentance. All right, moving right along. So far we've seen the man and the message and now the third thing we see in the text is the motive. And here we're looking at the motive or the reason that John gave to the nation of Israel for why they should repent. And John says this 
in uh, the second part of verse 2. John says, you all should repent for, meaning because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, here's the deal. If you were to look in the Old Testament for the exact phrase, the kingdom of heaven, you wouldn't find it. So you say, Mike, what in the world? The kingdom of heaven. I don't see that anywhere in scripture. Well, here's the deal. Just because the exact phraseology isn't found in the Old Testament doesn't mean that the concept isn't found in the Old Testament. Friends, the concept is, and then here in the New Testament, Matthew dubs it the kingdom of heaven. But here's the concept in the Old Testament so that you know. David declared in Psalm 10:16, the Lord is king forever and ever. And in Psalm 45, verse 13, David says of God, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Likewise, the prophet Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, that the God of heaven will one day set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So do you see it? The concept of the kingdom of heaven is there in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, Matthew dubs it the kingdom of heaven. So when you're reading Matthew's gospel, and as we're studying it together uh, throughout the course of this year, when you see the phrase the kingdom of heaven 32 different times, uh, I want you to know that he's just referring to a concept that is very clearly taught in the Old Testament. Now concerning this kingdom... John told the people who came out to the Jordan River to be baptized by him, John told the people, you need to repent because this kingdom that's taught in the Old Testament, it is at hand. And the precise words that he uses gives us permission to think of this kingdom of heaven as coming to us in stages. He doesn't say it's here in all its fullness. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so that gives us permission to think of the kingdom of heaven as uh, materializing in phases. So let me walk you through uh, something that I found to be super helpful to me uh, in my study. Let's go through the phases of the kingdom, which all lead up to the kingdom coming in all its fullness. Phase one is what we can call the prophesied kingdom, such as that foretold by the prophets David and Daniel and many others. Phase two is what we can call the present kingdom, the one that was at hand in the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus. Phase three, we can call the interim kingdom. And friends, that's the kingdom we're living in now, where Jesus rules, yes, but only over the hearts of those who are committed to him. He doesn't rule literally and physically and fully on the earth, rather just in the hearts of those who belong to him. So we're living right now in the interim phase of the kingdom. But here's the deal. One day, the interim kingdom will give way to the manifest kingdom in which Jesus will rule physically and fully here on earth for 1,000 years. And then after the 1,000 years comes phase 5, which is, according to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when John comes to the nation of Israel as the herald of the coming king and tells them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying, it's beginning. 
in fulfillment of prophecy, it's beginning. And it's going to march its way, it's going to march its way forward in fulfillment of prophecy until the day comes where Jesus is ruling physically and fully over this eternal kingdom. And so he says, repent because it's at hand, it's beginning, it's starting, so get ready. And friends, this leads us nicely to the fourth thing that we see in our text. In the last point, John gave them the motive for repenting. So we looked at the motive. But now the next thing we see in our text, it's not the motive. The next thing we see in our text is the mission. You see, God's herald was given a message of repentance for a very specific purpose. And this purpose or mission is laid out for us in verse 3. Where Matthew says of John, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Hey, can we say that last part uh, in yellow out loud? Let's bring it back up on the screen. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew here is quoting Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. And he's quoting it to give us a word picture that would describe to us the mission of John the Baptist. In case you haven't memorized Isaiah, let me bring to your memory the word picture. In Isaiah chapter 40, uh, we're given this word picture of like a coterie of servants preparing the way for a king. Now, again, we don't have king culture, so let me explain it to you. But back in the day where they didn't have paved highways and this and that and the other, they just had dirt roads and kings would, you know, uh, be hooked up and traveled on the thing. You're not going to have a king, you know, having a bumpy road on the ride. No, he's the king. He's going to have a smooth ride. So a coterie of servants would go and they would fill in the potholes. And if there was a steep incline or a precipitous uh, slope that would be dangerous for the king, they would literally level the hills in preparation for the king. I mean, if you're a king, you don't want to sit there and wait as they clear a tree off the path. So the coterie of servants would go before the king and they would clear the path of any debris. And they made preparations for the arrival of the king. So Matthew takes that word picture from Isaiah chapter 40 and he says this, friends, was the ministry of John the Baptist. His mission, his purpose, the reason that God sent him ahead was for this to prepare the way for the king. Now, John didn't mend the roads. Rather, he helped to mend the people's hearts by preaching to them a message of repentance. But the point is this. His mission was to prepare the way for the king. Fifthly, this leads us to the manner. We just looked at the mission, and now we look at the manner. In fulfillment of prophecy... Matthew tells us that John came in the manner of Elijah. Now, do you remember the prophecy from Malachi chapter 4 verse 5? The herald who would come right before Messiah arrives on the scene, he will come in the spirit or likeness or manner of the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And so this begs the question, how in the world was John the Baptist like the Old Testament prophet Elijah? Well, Matthew explains in verse 4. He says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair 
and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, when you and I read this, there's nothing that goes ding, 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 ding. We don't make any immediate association in our minds when we read this. But what you need to understand is that any first century Jew totally would have been going ding, 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 and they would have made an immediate association in their mind between John the Baptist and Elijah. You say, Mike, why would they have made that association? Well, let's read the Old Testament description of the prophet Elijah from 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. Here we learn of Elijah that he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. What did it say of John? John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. So immediately they're going, oh, this guy reminds me of the prophet Elijah. But not only did John the Baptist dress like the prophet Elijah, he also preached a message of repentance like the prophet Elijah, and he also walked in the literal footsteps of the prophet Elijah in that both Elijah and John ministered uh, by the Jordan, by the Jordan River. Elijah just traveled there, John ministered there, but either way, John walked in the literal footsteps of Elijah. So the people are just going, oh my goodness. They would have recalled how Elijah on Mount Carmel had his famous battle with the prophets of Baal and how he called the nation of Israel back to repentance. And here comes John preaching that same message of repentance, ministering by walking in the literal footsteps of Elijah and even dressing like him. And so the people, bells were just going off in their head. Oh my goodness, this is the prophet that was foretold. He's the one coming in the manner or the likeness or the spirit of Elijah. So friends, that's the manner. And now that you've seen the manner, let's move quickly to the ministry. And here we see that John's ministry took place by the Jordan River consisted of a baptism of repentance from sin and drew very large crowds. Take a look. We see this in verses 5 to 6, where Matthew records that in response to John's arrival, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. I want you to take a look at the map that I had our graphic artist make to help you really appreciate what's going on here. In Jesus' day, the nation of Israel was divided into two major territories, Galilee in the north and then Judea in the south. And Matthew records that the people of Jerusalem came to where John was baptizing in the wilderness, but not just the people of Jerusalem. Rather, John, uh, Matthew records that all of Judea came to John. But more than that, all the region around the Jordan River came to John too. That is, the people living on both sides of the Jordan River. And whether you can see it or not, the Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee in the north all the way down to the Dead Sea in the south. So people on both sides of the Jordan River came out to John. Now, Matthew's gospel doesn't mention it. But John's gospel does. And John's gospel tells us that even people from the region of Galilee in the north, they too came out 
to the wilderness where John was baptizing. So what you need to understand is that, practically speaking, the entire nation of Israel flocked to some remote desert wilderness region in order to hear John's preaching. In fact, there were so many people coming out to John, in fact, that Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, records in his antiquities that the ruler of Perea, take a look, see the purple region of Perea? The ruler of Perea viewed John as a political threat. He was concerned that they were amassing troops on the border of Perea, maybe in the same way that Russia right now is amassing troops on the border of Ukraine, and the ruler of Perea was concerned of an invasion. That's how many people came out to John in the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, um, the question that has always kind of come to mind immediately when I would read stuff like this of how many people came out, I've always wondered, why? I mean, he's not conveniently located off 91 South, like we are here. He's inconveniently located. I mean, convenience would be Jerusalem or something, you know? He is inconveniently located in the Judean wilderness off the beaten path. It was difficult to get to. Why would people flock to him? And friends, the simple answer is this. For the first time, In 400 years, the nation was hearing the prophetic voice. What you need to understand is that the prophetic voice in the nation of Israel had been silent since the time of Malachi, which was 400 years earlier. So in the Old Testament, you hear God's prophetic voice over and over and over. Mankind messed up the good world that God originally created. God institutes a a wonderful plan of salvation And then he sends his prophets to tell the people that a Savior is coming. So God appears to the prophet Abraham and says, a Savior is coming. And God appears to the prophet David and says, a Savior is coming. Then God appears to the prophet Isaiah and he says, a Savior is coming. And he's going to be a light for those who sit in spiritual darkness. He's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to make the lame walk. He's going to make the deaf hear and all this kind of stuff. And then the prophet Malachi comes and says, oh, of this Savior that we've heard so much about that's coming, before he arrives on the scene, a herald will precede his coming. That was the last prophetic word in the nation of Israel that we know about. That's recorded in Scripture. And then the prophetic voice goes silent for 400 years. And during this time, the nation of Israel uh, longingly awaited the time where God's promises would be fulfilled. The promise he made to Abraham, the promise he made to David, the promise he made to Isaiah, the promise he made to Malachi, and many other prophets. And they were just waiting for this arrival. Well, now the prophetic voice picks back up with John. He comes in the spirit and likeness and manner of Elijah the prophet. He's ministering by the Jordan. He's dressing the same as Elijah. And he's preaching a message of repentance in the same way that Elijah did. And the people start wondering, could this be the herald, the voice, the messenger, the prophet that God promised to come before Messiah? And the people got excited Because if John was the herald that was prophesied about and that was to come, that meant that the king was soon to follow. 
So the nation of Israel was psyched out of their mind at the thought of Messiah finally coming. They were so excited that after 400 years of silence, the prophetic voice had picked back up. And so they flocked out to John. And while they were there, many came to believe that he was the herald that was foretold in the Old Testament. So naturally, they responded to his message of repentance. They confessed their sins and were baptized by John in the Jordan River. And he baptized so many people that he was given uh, the epithet, John the Baptist. Now, if I was giving out an epithet, I would have dubbed him John the Herald, because baptism was just the consequence of his ministry as Herald. But guess what? Nobody asked me. So John the Baptist it is. All right, church, let me bring this all together for you because I want you to understand what the gospel writer Matthew is trying to do. He's trying to show us how Jesus fulfilled prophecy. John, uh, excuse me, Matthew wants to teach us all the practical things that Jesus taught about how we should live our life, which, friends, we will begin starting next week. But prior to getting to all the teaching of the king, Matthew has been trying to establish in our hearts and minds that Jesus indeed is the king that God promised. So in Matthew 1, what we learn is that in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus descended racially from Abraham, royally from King David, and was miraculously born of the virgin. And then in Matthew chapter 2, we learn that in fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He spent time in Egypt. Uh, he was the cause for great mourning in Ramah, and he lived in Nazareth. And now, in Matthew 3, in the text we studied today, which again is verses 1 to 6, we learn that in fulfillment of prophecy, even the ministry uh, of, Je uh, the ministry of Jesus was preceded by the herald that was foretold by both Isaiah and Malachi. So friends, do you see Matthew is trying to show us how Jesus perfectly fulfills prophecy. And this bolsters our confidence that Jesus is the promised Savior, the one spoken of by Abraham and David and Isaiah and Malachi and many others. Now the question begs, what should we do with this story of the king's herald? What do we do with it? Friends, we've looked at what does the text say? I've helped you to answer the question, what does the text mean? And now we're at the point in the sermon where we consider a third question. What do we need to do in response to what we learned? And I think we should just respond in the same way that the people responded in the passage. Okay? We either need to respond by repenting of sins or by getting baptized, or by using our life to be God's herald on this earth. Amen. Let me talk to you about those three things very quickly. Number one, you may need to respond by repenting of sin. John's preaching prepared the people for the first coming of Christ. He helped them to get spiritually ready. Well, the first coming of Christ, it's come and gone. But friends, guess what? Jesus is coming again. And the way that we get ready for the second coming of Christ is the exact same way that they got ready for the first coming of Christ. We get ready and spiritually prepare for the arrival of our King by repenting. 
And that means that we switch from a life characterized by sin to a life characterized by righteousness, which means right living according to the standard of God's word. Some of you have been attending here. Uh, some of you have been tuning in online and you haven't yet repented. Hey, I'm glad if you've kind of got to the place where you're like, you know, I do believe that God exists and I'm starting to believe that God sent Jesus to the earth. I would say to you what Jesus said to some of the people that he uh, encountered during his ministry. You are close to the kingdom of heaven. You're not far off, but you're not there yet. Because you have to do more than just acknowledge who Jesus is. Repentance is what's called for. Repentance is the evidence of your saving faith. If you just say, Jesus is my king, you've acknowledged a fact. But you don't have saving faith. So for some of you, today you need to move beyond acknowledging Jesus, who he is, and you need to repent by turning from a life characterized by sin and moving to a life characterized by right living, by righteousness. None of us will ever do it perfectly, so perfection's not the standard. We learned in Romans 7 that none of us on this side of eternity will ever perfectly obey God, but we're talking about our life predominantly being characterized by righteousness versus it being predominantly characterized by sin. So friend, if you need to repent, that's how you respond to the message. But let's move on because the application is not just repent. If you've already repented, there's a next step. And you won't be surprised to hear me say that that next step is being water baptized. When you repent of your sins, your very next step is to be water baptized. Last year, we had 99 people ask Jesus to be Savior and 99 people who appointed him as king or ruler over their life and I'm so happy to let you know that of the 99 people uh, who got saved, we had 81 get water baptized, okay? 82% of salvations were baptized, which is just awesome. I wish I had time to share with you every single one of those baptism stories, but I don't. So I'll just show you one. Take a listen to Hector's story. I remember the moment I decided to get baptized. One Sunday, while playing on stage and looking out into the crowd, I was seeing so many people worshiping, some full of happiness, others in tears. I realized here I am, part of a group, leading the church in worship and hoping to make non-believers turn to Christ, while I myself haven't taken that next step. The biggest thing that has helped my wife and I grow in faith has been getting involved with the church, from attending small groups, serving at events, and now serving on the worship team. It's surrounded us with like-hearted people who desire the same thing, and that's to serve God and spread the good news. And God is leading me in many ways I would have never imagined. Since giving my life to Jesus, the blessings that I've received would to some be considered unbelievable. But with Him, all things really are possible. exactly what every true follower of Jesus does. 
after he repented, he was water baptized. And my prayer would be for every one of you who have repented to take the obedient next step of being water baptized. The water represents a grave, and we dunk you under to show that you're burying the old life that was predominantly characterized by sin. And then we rise you up, and yes, we do rise you back up, all right, to represent that you're rising up into a new life, one that's predominantly characterized by righteousness. And this is the next step for those who have repented. In three weeks, we have what we call at New Day a water baptism Sunday. In all three services, you will have the opportunity to go ahead and be water baptized. And if you want to sign up to take that important next step, I want to let you know that you can, whether you're in person or online, just open up our Church Center app. You can click the Events tab on the bottom of the app. You can choose Water Baptism under Events, and then you can click the Register button in order to sign up. Now, if you hate technology and you'd rather die than use our app, that's fine. Go out to guest services and someone will help you there. Or for those of you who are tuning in online, just ask your host how they can help you to sign up if you don't have the app. All right, guys, last step and we're going to pray. Number one, if you haven't repented, your next step, your application is to repent. If you've repented but you haven't been water baptized, your next step is to be water baptized. But some of you are here and you're like, Mike, I've already repented and I've already been baptized. What do I do? Well, step three, the last and final application we have from our text is this. You are to now, for the rest of your life, use your life to be God's herald on the earth. The herald proclaims the message of the king. And the message that God has given us is this. There's peace with God through faith in Christ. And we are to be salt and light on this earth. And we are to be God's herald on this earth, proclaiming to all the wonderful news of the salvation found only in Christ. So again, we should respond the same way the people in the text responded. Repentance, baptism, being God's herald. If you'd like to do that, whatever your step is, if you'd like to take that step today, join me in prayer as we close. Just say this in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the record that Matthew gives of the King's herald. We've already been blown away by how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled, and now today we've seen one more. The herald that would precede the coming of the King. God, we thank you for all these prophecies that have been fulfilled in the life of Christ because it bolsters our faith. It confirms in our hearts that Jesus of Nazareth is the great king you promised to send into the world. It's in him that we place our faith and trust for salvation today. And may we strive every day to show you the genuineness of our faith through our repentance. And as we traverse through this life, may we, like John, have the great privilege of serving as your herald. Give us supernatural boldness to herald the gospel to all, to tell everyone we can the good news that there's peace with God through faith in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving. 
or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.